You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romeverse here at KSG Totti. This is episode 44. This is Steve hosting tonight. Uh, instead of Sean, he's a little under the weather. I have a special guest, Alex Dono of uh, the Couch Connection podcast. If you've ever listened to me as a guest on the pod with him and Jerry over there, that's a great podcast. Uh, if you guys want more Serie A coverage league-wide, they do a great job over there. So Alex, how are you doing tonight? Steve, I'm doing so well, man. I'm still uh, drinking in the Scudetto, but then also daily freaking myself out, reading all these headlines in the Italian papers about the Inter financial situation, which is which is typical Inter because when there's good, there's always bad to go along with it. So this is nothing new as a supporter of that club. Yeah, so as you guys could have uh, should have noticed by now, I brought on Alex because Roma travels to the San Siro tomorrow. If you end up listening, you know, before the, the match, if you listen post-match, this will still be relevant content for you. Uh, Alex, we have to congratulate you on the Scudetto. First time somebody besides Juve's won in almost a decade now. So happy to see somebody besides Juve win, that's for sure. Thanks so much. I appreciate that. It's, uh, yeah, it, 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 it feels a long time coming. And I know supporters of any Italian club outside of Juve could say the same thing. Yeah, I mean, and it, I think what uh, makes it even more gratifying for all of us, even with Roma having a tough season, is that Juve is just uh, falling apart. Maybe not even in the Champions League next year would be kind of poetic justice with the uh, the way they're holding out with that Super League. Yeah, it's really wild. And then, like, you know, I, I see these quotes about, you know, threats uh, of them being held out of Syria ah, because of the Super League. I don't know if I quite buy that, but clearly they're being strong armed to disown themselves from the Super League. It, it's really, really nuts. And then the whole Super League saga, I mean, it was weird because, uh, you know, for, for 48 hours, you know, Inter, Milan and Juve, a bunch of English clubs, a few Spanish clubs were in that Super League. Um, I, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I did do my share of trolling on Twitter, like, you know, pumping up the Super League. <laughs> People who actually know me know that uh, I, I wasn't a big fan of the Super League thing. And I, I you know, for, for as weirded out as I was by it, I did not expect it to go up in flames that quickly. Like, that was remarkable. A 48-hour Super League. It was crazy. Yeah, we did an episode here, um, I think, on the Monday that it was announced, like, because we normally record on Mondays and good thing we did it on the Monday. Cause if we waited till Tuesday, it would have been like done and dusted. We wouldn't have had an episode about it. It was so fast that it, it blew up, but um, yeah, it's interesting to see the way those two Spanish giants, Real Madrid and Barcelona and Juve are kind of holding out hope in some ways. Uh, I don't know where they expect to go with it. I understand where Inter and Milan kind of 
went on Juve's coattails into it, I guess, for the financial aspect of it, but then quickly pulled out when it went when when haywire. But uh, Juve holding out, so I'm curious to see where that goes. But enough on Juve. This is uh, not a Juve pod, and neither of us, you know, care to talk too much about Juve. I think at this point. So we'll start with this year's Inter uh, for those of you listening, and then we're going to, you know, twist a little bit to the past with Mourinho since he's going to be Roma's manager in, you know, just a couple weeks, technically, I guess, once the season's over. So Alex, let's start about with this, this year's Inter, you know, what made them so good? What did Conte do to make this team contenders? You know, a couple years ago, Spalletti started to kind of build Inter back up, got him back to the champions league, but Conte has put them over the top. What, what did he do to make this team eventually become Scudetto winners? Big thing for me was uh, I think the second season in Conte, there was a, a solidification of what he started in the first year. And I know that it doesn't always go that way, way with Conte because he's he's kind of become famous for winning titles his first year at places. He did it at Juve. He did it at Chelsea. So, I mean, some people were wondering like, hey, of course, only Inter could be the spot where Conte wouldn't win his first season. But every situation is different. Every club is different. And, you know, Juve were still last season you know, kind of at the tail end of their dominance. I, I do think they were a bit vulnerable where Juventus last year, but I, I think I think Sadi was able to do a little bit more than the first year of, of Pirlo to keep them on top. So, yeah, I mean, part of it was, of course, taking advantage of a weaker Juve, but then you could say the same thing for every team because every team in the city uh, were going up against the same Juve and Inter were the team to take advantage of it. And, yeah, I give I give most of that credit to Antonio Conte. Um you know, a couple things that really stand out, you know, second year for Inter playing in a back three, how dynamically different Milan Skriniar was from the first year to the second year. Skriniar really struggled in the back three last year to the point where a lot of us wondered if he could play in that formation. And, you know, he was potentially nearly sold in the uh, the summer transfer window, which bled into the fall uh, this past year. There were a lot of rumors linking him to Tottenham, and that never ended up materializing. And that feels like a bullet dodged because uh, Skriniar, one of the most improved players at Inter, I mean, it's just night and day from the first year to the second year. And then solidifying that back line, uh, the, the young Bastoni has become an absolute revelation. Uh, and, you know, for, for the early part of the season, you know, ironically enough, you could say Inter actually had less depth in the back line, the back three this year than last year, because last year they had Diego Godin, who struggled a little bit early, but got really came on and played a lot better late in the season. Um, and, and this year, uh, whenever they had, you know, issues early on in the season, like it inter didn't have a whole lot of COVID and injuries late in the year, but early in the year they did. And so they had to play a few games with uh, a guy, you know, very well in Alexander Kolarov, mm -hmm. you know, starting on the left side of the back three and he just too slow. Um, to play to play uh, back three center back in that formation was just getting routinely torched and it was really really awful to watch and a lot of the qualities that you know made Kolarov a great player in previous stops I just think he outgrew it so once Inter were able to really get their stable back three of Bastoni who came on so strong this year Skriniar who improved so much and then of course uh, Devry who was great last year and very good again this year it made a whole lot of difference um, Ashraf Hakimi ended up being a great purchase uh, on the right side he made a huge difference and then on at the left wing back um you were really able to discover something rediscover Ivan Perisic who you know last year in preseason Conte said this guy cannot play wing back and he can't 
play second striker, so there's no spot for him here. They were really forced to take Perisic back because Bayern Munich didn't redeem him. They couldn't find another spot for him. He ended up doing really well. Uh, Matteo Darmian, who has played a number of different positions, this guy can play right wing back, he can play center back, he can play left wing back. He was really good this year, and you know, uh, really reintegrating Christian Eriksen uh, into the squad was big. This is another, like, like Conte really benefited from the transfer market being a bit dead. Like, honestly, if he was able to sell and buy some of the players he wanted to move on from and move in in the summer and January transfer windows, I honestly don't know if Inter are winning the Scudetto because the stability of not being able to move some of these players actually really helped because first half of the season, Christian Eriksen was out of the project. They tried to move him. Nobody would take on his wages. So they were forced to reintegrate Eriksen. And he ended up recovering and, and becoming, you know, deep-lying playmaker because it uh, re- really didn't work with a Trey Cortista in Conte's formation. So he ends up playing a deep-lying playmaker and ends up doing really well. And then, of course, uh, you know, the front line was, was good. The front two, Lukaku had, a, had an incredible season. Uh, Lautaro, a bit inconsistent at times, but finished the year really strong. And Alexis Sanchez has been a great spot starter. And so I I really thought kind of uh, the the team having the extra year to sort of adapt and learn Conte's tactics, I think made a whole lot of difference and not being able to move some of these players were really the key to success for Inter. And it's why, you know, a lot of people predicted a Scudetto before the season started. I had my doubts and I'm glad they proved me wrong. Yeah, you make a great point, too, with the Mercato really being stagnant at those times and teams not wanting to take on wages with the the financial fallout of COVID, that holding on to a player like Erickson, who was being pushed out the door very hard with two hands, uh, couldn't find his way out. And um, some of those things that might have been considered weaknesses on this team kind of turned into strengths, which is what I was going to ask you next. Like, what would you say were the biggest strengths of this side? And what weaknesses did they eliminate from the past? Uh, maybe besides, you know, that the defensive issues, anything else they were able to eliminate from last year? I could probably answer that question with a two for one. Uh, the, the, the defense just got to a point where in the second half of the season, you could barely score on them. And, and I, I, I thought that that had really everything to do because the, the attack was pretty consistent all year long. Because uh, in, in the first half of the season, when Inter picked up some negative results, I mean, they had the early loss to Milan. You know, they, they leaked a couple of goals in that game. They had a surprising loss to Samp. They had some unfortunate draws. I mean, I even go to the first game of the season season when they had to come from behind to beat Fiorentina four to three uh, they gave up way too many goals so solidifying the back line to me uh, was the biggest weakness that they turned into a strength and and they were able to hide some deficiencies of Handanovic because I I didn't think he had a good season this year and I I, I hope that they can start thinking about bringing him in his replacement if they can afford to they may be sort of uh, for lack of a better word stuck with Handanovic as the starting goalkeeper for another year but even though Honda was a little bit shaky at times. Uh, the back line was limiting scoring chances. He didn't really have to do a whole lot, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going to ask you next about any upgrades they might need next year because, you know, they've been benefited in some ways being eliminated from the Champions League early and not getting uh, demoted really to the Europa League like teams usually do when they finish third. They finished fourth in the group, which is a bit shocking in some ways, uh, yeah. but probably benefited them in the long run like we saw with Lazio last season when they made a strong scoot at the push, but Inter having a bit more quality was able to get it done. So, you know, a goalkeeper would probably be at the top of your priority list, I would imagine, but any other upgrades you think this team needs to stay on top and then be more competitive in Europe, because now that they've won the Scudetto, you have to imagine 
progressing in the Champions League which has to be kind of the next target. Yeah, I mean, if, if you're asking me what I would want to upgrade and if if money was not a huge obstacle, I know in the real world it is, but just for argument's sake, if they're able to, to afford, I, I don't think this team needs a whole lot of moves. Uh, goalkeeper is a big one. You know, I, I like, uh, you know, the players within Serie A, like Cranio and Musso, uh, you know, I, I know Inter have been linked to them a lot in the past. I, I, I would like a move like that. Uh, I still think they could do a little bit better at left wing back. I know that I was singing the praises uh, of Perisic, but, uh, you know, obviously, again, just wish list. Uh, so somebody of the type of, of Robin Gosens would be kind of a dream for me. And, and then a big thing, and there's going to be a lot of Serie A teams competing uh, for his signature, Rodrigo DePaul. I mm. think if you're just going, if you're going straight tactically, I don't think he could find a better fit than Inter and Conte. Um, now, you know, I, I'm not saying Inter are necessarily the favorite to land him because, again, financials will be, will be a big hurdle. You know, he might wind up at uh, Juventus. He might wind up at Milan. He might wind up overseas or not overseas, but abroad, you know, in England because those teams could bid more money. But I, I feel like someone like Rodrigo DePaul could be kind of the secret to unlocking, you know, a couple more years where Inter are right at or near the top. Yeah, I mean, to me, and I've said this before in our pod, I can't believe Rodrigo DePaul is still at Udinese. I mean, this guy's been one of the, the most underrated players in Serie A probably for the past few seasons. I remember in the summer when he was linked with a move away, it wasn't even to a bigger team, yeah, it was to like Leeds the United. United and I was like, yeah, yeah. he's going to leave Udinese. Geez, Roma should make a play or somebody in Serie A make a play <laughs> for this guy. So it'd be interesting to see where he goes. Um, and you brought up the finances and, you know, if money was no object, and of course it's an object for everybody, you know, roaming, you know, we've seen them struggle. Inter has their own financial issues. Pretty much everybody at this point, um, which is why Juve not quali qualifying for the Champions League could be disastrous for them. So on the subject of money, we saw some news about Bastoni's agent going public today about uh, contract situation and not really hearing anything about a renewal for some time now. So can you update us on anything uh, in that regard? Yeah, it's obviously concerning. Um, you know, I, I, I do take a little bit of comfort in knowing that Inter are certainly not the only club that have financial challenges and financial concerns. I think that theirs are a bit more complicated uh, because when, when your ownership is Chinese and they have they have less freedom just to spend whatever they want to because they, they have to kind of follow the cues from their government as well, I think that that adds an extra wrinkle to it. The Bastoni thing, uh, it, it was a little bit discouraging reading about that this morning, uh, that his agent is is saying that they, they really haven't had any contact recently about the contract extension that he wants. I mean, he wants to be at Inter. He's not, he's not looking for a move away. And his agent basically saying this is not normal, that we're not hearing from them. Um, I, I think we're all kind of learning over the last year that uh, nothing's really normal right now. I, I think that everything uh, at Inter, uh, and there are, there are a few players that – want and are working on extensions um, in addition to Bastoni, Lautaro Martinez and Stefan de Vrij as well are, are seeking extensions. And I think Inter certainly does want to extend all these players. Uh, I think that the frustration right now comes from they need a little bit more clarity on what their financial outlook is. Uh, I think both sides, I think Sooning, the ownership wants clarity because they're, they're trying to get uh, players right now to defer wages for a couple of months to kind of aid in the budget. And if players refuse to do that, they're gonna have to look at cutting in other areas. So I would imagine right now, it's kind of hard to say, hey, Bastoni, we're gonna sit down with you and put pen to paper right now when they don't have clarity on what the payroll is gonna look like for next year. So I, I just think it's frozen. Um, and as far as, 
as far as Bastoni's agent, like choosing to air the grievance publicly, you have to remember who the source is. Uh, he's, he's trying to negotiate. So um, it's, it's really not surprising because you, you see various agents, you know, around Europe do this and, you know, he's not a Mino Raiola client, which would be way more, way more loud and out there, but, you know, coming from the agent, he's obviously trying to put pressure on them through the public to get it done. So I, I'm pretty optimistic that, um, you know, I, I think there could be a sale or two this summer, but I'm pretty optimistic that a player like Bastoni is going to be back. I can't imagine them moving on from, you know, a 21-year-old center back entering his prime who wants to be on the club. So I, I think it's going to get done. But the whole financial situation, it's frustrating because it's so uncertain. We really don't know. We, we know it's not good. We just don't know yet how bad it really is. Yeah, I agree. I mean, all the clubs, like like we mentioned, are in the same kind of boat trying to figure out what finances are going to be like for next year. Is FFP going to be an issue? Is that going to kind of go aside for a bit? You know, things like that. And like, like you said, Bastonia, I don't see him going anywhere, you know, if Inter's going to build around a couple of young players, him and and uh, especially Badella are two of those guys you aren't going to go let go. They're, you know, the foundations of this team and the foundations of, of the Italian national team moving forward, in my opinion. So, you know, speaking of foundations of, of, you know, something bigger, do you think this is sustainable under Conte? Can he make it last for more than a couple of seasons? You know, we saw at Chelsea, he burnt out after a couple of seasons. Even Juve, where he won every year he was there, lasted three seasons. So do you think this is sustainable for him? I think it could be sustainable for one more season. Um, and, and, and I know that that, that certainly is a goal of, of the, the technical staff and the directors. Like I, I hope that their goal aligns with the goal of ownership. There may be some disconnect there right now, but I, I, honestly, as long as they don't have to make drastic sales, like if they were to, God forbid, and I'm not expecting this, if they were to decide to offload someone like Lukaku and, you know, someone like Barella, I wouldn't expect either of those. But if, if you start if you start to sell players who are fundamental to the project, and then that's also going to tell people like Conte and, uh, and, uh, and Beppe Marotta, hey, maybe we don't want to be here either. And then the project could, could blow up in their face. But um, I, I think that they, they can carry over some of the momentum to this year. If they don't drastically change the squad, then, uh, you know, with the way that this team rallied around Conte on and off the pitch, uh, I, I think the, I'm not looking at this and saying, hey, they're going to rival, you know, what Inter did, you know, 15 years ago where they went on, you know, a, a little bit of a mini dynasty or what Juve has done over the last nine years. I'm not expecting anything like that, but I, I think this project could be sustainable for another year or maybe two. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if Conte sticks around and they keep the, the bulk of those big time players, I think they have to be pretty heavy favorites going into next season, especially with Juve kind of in shambles and, and, you know, the other clubs not really, you know, hanging with them um, too much. And, you know, when this Scudetto with, I guess, four matches to play is pretty impressive. Um, you know, so building for the future, any interesting youngsters we should keep an eye on maybe in tomorrow's match or in the final two that Inter might have coming through the system, anybody they might throw in the mix. Yeah, well, as far as uh, as far as for tomorrow's match, and and I don't know, it, it seems like it seems like Inter might throw out something close to their best eleven. But I mean, obviously, over these next uh, three matches, I'd love to see more of Pinamonti. 
who uh, who this past uh, match day scored his first goal in an Inter shirt. So I, I thought that was really neat. Uh, you know, he's been a guy who's been he's been an Inter player for a few years, but he typically gets loaned out. He he was the fourth striker, seldom used fourth striker this year, but he is an up and coming player potentially with the Italian national team as well. So watching him score uh, the other day was really nice. I'd like to see him get a little bit more burn. Uh, and and a guy that a couple of guys that I'd look for next season if they're brought back from their loan spells, uh, Luciana Gume, uh, midfielder is, is pretty promising. So I would look forward to seeing what he can do. And yeah, I mean, as far as, uh, I didn't watch the Primavera as much this year as I have in, in the recent couple of years, but you know, we'll, we'll see what Inter has churning. Cause I, th- I think they may, and, and, uh, Federico DeMarco is another game mm-hmm. that, that escaped me for a moment. He may be coming back to Inter next year as well. That could actually be how, what they do to try and solve the left wing back problem. So I think guys like DeMarco and Agume, and I think Pinamonti may be back as the fourth striker next year. I, I would watch players like that. Yeah, DeMarco's been very good for Hellas the past two seasons, so yeah. I, I would not be surprised if he can, you know, fix that problem internally, being that he's out there on loan. Um, and like, and the thing too with Inter schedule, I think makes Conte want to play their top players is they play Roma tomorrow, and then I think Juve on the weekend, so you know he's going yep. to want to stick it to Juve. Um, so we might see a few less youngsters than we've seen kind of with Roma in in recent weeks now that their seasons kind of going off in a tailspin. Um, but, you know, now let's turn back the clock a little bit, Alex, and let's go back to the last Inter side that won the Scudetto under Mourinho in 2009-2010. Ended up being a treble-winning side, you know, historic uh, for the Italian league in general. Um, so can you remember what your expectations were when Mourinho was hired? I know it's a, a bit long ago, but what were you thinking back then, if you can re- recall? I, I was really excited. I mean, th- this is a guy coming in who had European pedigree. I mean, w- winning a treble with Porto, and so that that was really that 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 was really my thinking was, you know, Inter at the time, you know, had had won, you know, technically three straight Scudetti. The the past two seasons had won it under Mancini, and just the thought was, this team is only going to go so far in Europe, and you have to bring in someone of the European pedigree like Mourinho to get them the next step. So I I was really excited. I mean, I I had no idea just how interesting the Mourinho era would truly become, but my expectations were pretty high because I think at that point, Interisti knew, you know, we're we're, we're capable of, of running this league for the foreseeable future, but can we get somebody who can get us farther in Europe because Inter had always been floundering like early in, in the group stages of Champions League and really going nowhere fast. So that was really the hope when Mo came in. Yeah. Um, so you're, you know, you were excited. Did you miss Mancini at all during Mourinho's tenure? Or were you pretty content with uh, Mourinho at that point? No, I, I, I was pretty content. Um, you know, I, I was actually ki- kind of excited uh, years later when Mancini came back for his second spell that, and it's it's hard to recapture the magic as we found out for the first spell. But, you know, d- during the Mourinho era, no, I, I, I became uh, I became a Mourinho believer pretty early. I didn't look back. Yeah. So, you know, they, they had won the Scudetto under Mancini. So then, you know, the next step, like you said, was Mourinho. But was the, the treble ever really a realistic expectation or was that kind of like dreamland, you know? when it happened I, I'd yeah I, I'd say that was dreamland <laughs> I mean I yeah. kind of like when, when the Mourinho era started it especially like the first season you know they they won the Scudetto going away the first year I think they they were 10 points on top uh so the Scudetto was pretty easy but again stuck in quicksand in Champions League I, I think my thought was like if if we can just make a deeper run in Champions League I, I don't I don't know if the treble 
ever really cross my mind until like later in that 2010 season when it looked like this could be an achievable goal. I, I, I don't think that's even something I allowed myself to dream about until they were on the cusp of clinching it. Yeah, and even that season, that was the season uh, when Roma made it a lot tougher right. on, on Inter. You know, uh, Pazzini really bailed you guys out. So uh, it was tough on all, all sides that, that, you know, that season. And that, that's kind of the detriment, I guess, to going deeper in the Champions League or any European competition is you start to get worn a little bit thinner. And, and Inter really had to, to work for that second one under Mourinho. Um, and Mourinho, we know, is quite the personality. We're going to see it in Rome soon enough, uh, which is a really uh, an inferno to begin with, even more so than Milan, probably, from a calcio standpoint in terms of the media pressure and things. So uh, did you enjoy Mourinho going to war with Italian journalists back in the day? Oh, dude, it was the best. It, it was <laughs> the absolute best because, like, Interisti have always had, even before Mourinho, they've always had the the mentality. And, of course, obviously, like, Calciopoli was something that sort of made you feel validated because we were always wearing the tinfoil hats. I mean, dude, I can remember in the 90s, in the the, Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, the R9 era, like, oh, my God, how many times were we robbed on the pitch? Referee decisions, the media hates us, so... You know, for for even a decade prior to Mourinho, I had the tinfoil hat on, and and dude, seeing the way that he would go to war with the Italian media, it was incredible. I mean, every Mourinho press conference was a must watch. Every Mourinho interview was a must watch or a must listen. And it's obvious, like you know, not only does he have that personality, but he is so good. At least he was at the time so good at creating that siege mentality, right? Where he's yeah. able to kind of insulate the club and create this us versus the world mentality. And I think there are some some clubs around the world uh, where that's not really necessary. But I think for a club like Inter, it really was necessary to motivate the players and even the fans in sort of drawing this line in the sand between yourselves and the establishment. And he was an absolute puppet master at doing that. Yeah, and I think that's something he's going to probably use to his uh, his benefit in Rome. I think he can 100%. create that same kind of mentality because Rome has got that same kind of inferior inferiority complex, maybe to an even greater extent because they haven't won like Inter's won in the past. You know, they aren't coming off Scudetti. They're they're coming off probably a seventh or eighth place finish. So I think he will certainly use that. And I could see him certainly going to, to war with the journalists in Rome because they are um, rather cutthroat. Sometimes they, you know, create these stories that try to destabilize the club, you know, even though they, that's the club they cover just to sell papers. We saw what happened with Jekko this year with Fonseca. And I think Mourinho won't have any, any part of it. He'll just go right back at him, which will in some ways as uh, crazy as it is, be a, a breath of fresh air. Um, not being like, you know, run through the muck by the journalists. So, uh, you know, that was certainly a, a strength of Mourinho at Inter. What else made him so special at the club for the, the time he was there? You know, and, and this is something that uh, that Mourinho did so well back in those days. Uh, and, and I hope he can find some of this again at Roma because I know his, his reputation recently in Premier League has been someone who's not adaptable and someone who the game has passed him by. I would love to see him prove them wrong because Mourinho, during his two years at Inter, was incredibly adaptable. I mean, he came in with a preferred 4-3-3 formation. He realized that doesn't work with my players. He adapted to, first it was a 4-3-1-2. And then, you know, the second year, he realized this is not working for us in Champions League. So he adapted to a 4-2-3-1. And, you know, I, I know that there are good managers 
usually have preferred tactics and players have to adapt to it. And if they start adapting, they get themselves in big trouble. But sometimes great managers actually have the ability to tweak and adapt formations. Mourinho could do that at Inter. You know, uh, Allegri did a good job of that at Juventus, that he was really able to adapt his formation and, and thrive and evolve. And, and even, you know, someone like Conte, I know that he's had his preferred 3-5-2 for a long time, but he's adapted over the years as well. Mourinho was really able to do that. So it wasn't only motivating his players. And then, and then obviously a big part of Inter's success in the second year, of course, I, I can't ignore was uh, what happened on the transfer league uh, in the transfer uh, season, the way that they, you know, the way that they moved uh, Ibra to Barcelona, getting 48 million euros plus Samuel Eto, who ended up being incredible. And then, you know, also, being able to spend uh, the funds that they got, you know, bringing in players like Wesley Snyder, Tiago Mota, Lucio, Diego Milito, who ended up becoming an Inter legend. So, you know, obviously, obviously the transfer market coup that they pulled moving Ibra for all those players and all that money was a big part of it. But I, I thought the adaptability of Mourinho is something he was very good at back then. And he doesn't have that reputation anymore. And I'd like to see him change that. Yeah. Um, and then uh, one more question before we move on to a little bit of a Conte Mourinho comparison. So Inter back in the Mourinho era was uh, very foreign heavy. I'm off the top of my head. I could really only recall Materazzi being Italian on that team. There might've been one other player, yeah. maybe a backup <laughs> yeah, goalie. That, that's basically it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, do you think Inter is better when it's kind of that foreigners against the establishment? You kind of mentioned how they were Mourinho kind of fought the establishment. Do you think that kind of made that team better? It did in those days. Absolutely. Uh, that, that was the, that was the identity of Inter throughout the Massimo Moratti era. And, and really, that those are the principles the club was founded on. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, in, in years past, there were limits on how many foreigners you could have. But, you know, back in 1908, when Inter was founded, they were the first club at that time that allowed any foreigners. And, and but certainly you fast forward, you know, almost a century. That was really what worked. Uh, in the Moratti era was uh, you know, obviously teams like Juventus and Milan would be very Italian heavy mm -hmm. and Inter would bring in, you know, great players from Argentina, great players from Brazil on occasion and all over the world. And, and that, that really worked. And I think that's something they really thrived on. Uh, I, I think that at least this version of Inter sort of the, the, the modus operandi of the club has changed a little bit where, you know, back in those days, it was really it was really driven by foreigners. And I know, you know, and now it's it's so much different because with, with Marotta being the guy kind of running the show, you know, he's he's doing things a little bit more the way he did things at Juventus. And obviously, some of Inter's best players are foreigners. That goes without saying. I mean, Lukaku, Lautaro, Hakimi are, are not Italian. Erickson, not Italian. But you see them wanting to build with more of an Italian spine, right? With players like Bastoni, Barella. So we're, we're seeing them moving more in that direction. So I, I wonder if the identity of the club is changing a little bit. But certainly in, in that era, uh, I thought that they were that they were best when, when the spine of the team were great players from all over the world. Yeah, uh, great point you make there. So now let's talk a little bit about the you know, the similarities and differences between Conte and Mourinho, because they're both kind of those megalomaniac managers who really need to feed their own ego in many ways, um, which is why I, I think in my mind, they're so similar, but yet they're obviously very different in many ways too. So as someone who's watched Inter and seen both of them manage his, his club for at least two seasons, what do you see as like similarities and differences when you compare and contrast them? 
Yeah, there are a lot. I think there are more. So at least, I mean, I mean, obviously, tactically, it's not the same. Uh, even though they both have reputations of being defensive managers, but as far as the way that they conduct themselves, there are a ton of similarities. Uh, there seemed to be more harmony with Conte this year, but last season, especially a lot of times I, I was having Mourinho flashbacks because he was really going to war with the media was even going to war with the management of the club itself, probably more times for my comfort level. But, you know, as, as far as like starting some of those wars and creating that siege mentality, uh, th there's a lot there. There's a lot of narcissism there between both of those managers, no question. And uh, listen, that that's not the only way to succeed as a manager, but, you know, some of the best managers can be megalomaniacs. So there's a lot of that. I mean, strong personalities, combative personalities, there are a, a ton of similarities. And, and people will try and compare the football as well. Um, you know, I think Conte would be the first person to come out and say that he's kind of unfairly pigeonholed as a defensive manager. I think one thing that is fair to say, he's not a manager that requires a lot of possession. I mean, Conte does not care if he's out possessed in a match 70% to 30% because he thrives uh, when his team is playing on the break, you know, on the quick counter counter strikes. And so, you know, listen, I mean, sometimes, uh, sometimes Mourinho's football is not the most beautiful to watch and people will say the same about Conte. So there are, there are a lot more similarities than differences I feel. Yeah. And you know, sometimes pragmatism is the best way to go about it in, in football. You know, if you're going to win a Scudetto or anything else and you can do it with less possession and playing a little bit more defensively so be it we've seen what happens when teams don't play very well defensively we can speak for that at Roma this season you know at times they could play beautiful football but the defense in time at times was in shambles because of the overall tactics uh, on the pitch so I'm looking forward to Roma and Inter meeting not only tomorrow but more so next season because seeing these two managers on the touchline squaring off hopefully with fans in the stands and a real good environment I think will make for a lot of fun hopefully bring us back to those uh, late 2000s when I first became a Roman fan, like this 07, 08 kind of times. And that's when Inter was dominating. They were really my, you know, most hated team at the time, just because they were uh -huh. the, they were at the top, you know, they were the sure. Juventus of the day. Um, so I think it could be a lot of fun with Conte and Mourinho as managers. Um, so Mourinho, after he left Inter, have your feelings changed based on his premier league experiences, or do you still see him kind of in that same light as a, as an Inter fan? Uh, I, I see him. I see him in the same light. I actually, I, I constantly defend Mourinho against a lot of Manchester United fans who who despise the guy uh, based on his time there. Um, you know, part of the issue is uh, I, I honestly I think his tactics to me are a lot better in Italian football than they are in English football. And you know, I just I, I look at what he can do potentially at Roma because I, I see some of Roma's biggest issues are lack of pragmatism and leaking too many goals mm -hmm. and just on paper even and and I know I'm sure Roma is going to look to add players in the market but even before you add a single player Mourinho would automatically make Roma better in those regards so I, I still I still have the same respect for Mourinho I, I obviously his worldwide reputation has taken a hit because he's you know he's not finding the same success everywhere that he found at Inter and then he found you know at, at Chelsea and Porto but uh, I mean to me he's still an Inter legend I don't think any less of the guy yeah and how do you feel about him going to Roma as an Inter fan and then as a Serie A fan in general uh, much better than I would feel if he had gone to Juventus not that I think he would go there in a million years like I think uh, you see that that's an area where Mourinho and Conte are different right because Conte always says I'm a fan of whatever club I go to I'm a professional it doesn't matter where I go 
Whereas Mourinho, uh, and, and who knows, maybe in five years or so, I'll be proven wrong. But I could not see that guy in a million years going to Juventus because he hates Juventus as much as any Inter fan does. I think that's where he and Conte are a little bit different. Uh, if he had gone to Juve or to Milan, it would have been absolutely heartbreaking. And I, I, have, I have a lot of respect uh, for Roma as a club, and I think he can do really well there. I just I don't, I don't have the same hatred. Like, they're not a traditional rival the way that, uh, that Juve – and, uh, and Milan are. So I honestly, like, I, I kind of feel relieved that he's going to a, a club that I don't despise. And, um, and, and I'm actually, um, I'm, I'm going to root for him to succeed. I mean, obviously if it comes down to like Inter and Roma in the top two, I'm going to, I'm going to root for Inter to close it out, but I, I would not mind whatsoever seeing Mourinho have success there. Yeah. And I think it could be good for the league too. You know, it's more eyes on, on the league and the football in Serie A we've seen the past couple of years has been much better, uh, much more competitive, more goal scoring. You know, the, the reputation of a defensive league is kind of going out the window. Uh, but I don't think many people that follow European football realize that uh, because you know, the, the attention is always on the Premier League, on Barcelona, Real Madrid. So it could be good for the league, and hopefully it's good for Roma, at, at least for, for us here at Kizzi Toti. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing your answer is going to be yes to this question based on your answer. But would you want him as a manager if you were, of you know, Romanista, if you followed Roma? Oh, if I, absolutely. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, because I think he, he checks off uh, a couple of boxes. Now, I'm not going to say it's without risk, right? Because... Mm -hmm. For, for, for a personality that colorful and for a guy that volatile, there's always a risk it's going to blow up in your face. So consider this a disclaimer. But if I were a Roma supporter, yeah, I, I would love to have Mourinho because, like, you touched on it. I, I think he's going to do actually really well kind of shielding his club from the crazy Roma fans and, and the media there. I mean, obviously, Milan is a huge market, but I think that even – the, the, the fans in Milan are just like a little bit more sane, I think, than the fans in Rome. Like there's there's so many calcio crazies there. It's just a completely different place to coach. So I, I think he's going to deal pretty well with a lot of the outside stuff. And uh, and yeah, I just think that his style, um, he's going to improve areas of the pitch that Roma needs to improve most. So uh, if I were a Roma fan, yeah, I'd be I'd be really excited because you're, you're getting a guy that's going to bring a ton of outside attention to your club. Like there are going to be people paying attention to Roma who wouldn't otherwise because they're going to want to see how Mourinho does. And a lot of those people are going to be haters like you're going to have. Mm -hmm. And obviously your club is uh, with, with with Smalling has been on the radar of Manchester United fans. And a lot of them are going to be probably rooting for Mourinho to fall flat on his face. But they're still going to be watching like even if they're watching out of out of hatred and then there's going to be you know people who love Mourinho who will watch so he's going to bring a lot of eyes to the club yeah I agree I, I we've seen on Twitter you know just the reactions especially people outside the club many people are excited within the Roma ranks because of you know the potential of having a, a great manager there others not so much because of the potential for blowing up um, I'm cautiously optimistic you know it might blow up in two to three years but hopefully he does something to change the mentality of the club a bit and kind of get them a little tougher because the past couple of years we've seen Roma's gotten a little soft since the Strutmans and De Rossi's and nine Galans of the world have moved on. Um, but you're right. I think the, the outsiders, whether they follow Serie A or not, are looking on, you know, thinking, you know, when will this blow up? And they're just kind of waiting for that explosion, even though it has even, you know, the fuse hasn't been lit yet because he hasn't stepped on, uh, you know, the pitch at Trigoria yet, but it'll be right. interesting. And I think it will bring a lot of attention to the league. And then we'll end on this, Alex. So if Conte left Inter tomorrow, if things just went awry for whatever reason, would you take Mourinho back at Inter without even thinking about it just instantly? That's a hard no. And, and, and my answer is very clear. 
I I don't want to think of him differently. Like I, I mentioned to you that he's still a legend in my eyes and what he's done, you know, at his last couple of stops at Tottenham and, and Manchester United have not tarnished him to me. I, I would hate though for, cause oftentimes the second stints don't go mm-hmm. well and you, re- you can't recapture the magic. Like if he were to come back to enter and fail by whatever the objectives are fail get sacked it would it would be it would be really tough for me like I I, I like I like to remember Mourinho at Inter based on what he did I, I you know I, at, the, at the time when he left I, I wished he had stayed longer uh but I, I I would prefer him and if he did come back listen I, I'm a supporter I would embrace him but I, I would prefer he didn't come back because it'd be basically impossible for him to live up to the standard that he set. Cause I, I wouldn't expect another treble. I mean, no other Italian team has done it. So why would I expect him to be able to do that here for a second time? So I, I would, I would prefer to remember him the way that I do after 2010. Yeah. That's a great point. I, you know, it's, I wasn't sure if you would say no so easily as someone who, you know, <laughs> saw so many great memories, but it's, it's a great point. The, the second time usually doesn't go so well. Uh, we saw what happened with Spalletti in Rome, you know, he, yeah. Had a had a really good season, but we had the Totti fallout. He didn't win any trophies like he did the first time around with the Coppa Italia. So yeah, it, sometimes it will tarnish the the image. So Alex, thank you so much. This was a great interview. Tell our listeners where they can find you besides the Calcio connection and what's all your other great work you do. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, I do uh, I do daily shows uh, at onsideradio.com. We do mix in some Calcio talk, uh, primarily American sports. So it might not be something your audience is into, but if you do have people who are, you know, NFL football fans, NBA fans, NHL fans, and we do some we do some Calcio talk as well, you can catch me uh, every day, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time, live on onsideradio.com. And I also, I work on the, uh, the pregame, halftime, and postgame broadcast for Inter-Miami CF in Major League Soccer as well. So I'm, I'm somehow connected every enter on the planet by <laughs> sheer coincidence so yeah people can catch me there and thank you so much steve for having me you guys do an awesome job thanks alex talk to you soon 